opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. We do Investing Simplified. Welcome into Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, you can catch replays of our show on podcasts, whether you use Apple or Android, as well as on our website at www.pricefg.com under the radio section. This is Matt Sudol, Wealth Manager here with Price Financial Group. Together with me in studio is Mr. Matt May, our Chief Investment Officer and Wealth Manager. How are you, sir? I am doing well. How about you? Doing pretty good. You know, it's been a couple of weeks with the two of us off air. Bo held down the fort, uh, fort so to speak, on the radio. He had a couple of episodes um, that I think were really helpful and insightful. Appreciate him stepping in here. And we are back uh, this week to just sort of update everyone as to where things are at the moment. Um, and it's been a pretty interesting start to 2023. Yeah, it certainly continued the wave that we've seen a, a tick up, a decent you know uptick in the markets, and then it's pulled back, you know, that back down towards its starting level. So it's Still, I think that there's a lot of indecision with the investment environment out there. Like people are still trying to determine which way this market and this economy as a whole is going. So there are a lot of experts out there that are uh, have made projections for what this year will have for us, have in store for us. Mm -hmm. It's just all over the map. I think yeah. that it's so much data coming at us, and it's everything that we're seeing is making you know, large impacts into the direction of what we think this market is going to do, what this economy is going to do. Absolutely. It's hard to believe we're all the way through January, February now and moving into the following months. And the market has sort of traded sideways, uh, I would call it. Um, I'm looking at a chart from the last year on the S&P 500. And yes, it's a little lower than what it was. But if you look at the last six months, nine months, you know, we sort of get a tick up right? For maybe six months, three months, sometimes a couple of weeks. And then it comes back down. Comes back down. And then goes back up, settles back down. It's really toying with our emotions, really. Because um, <laughs> you get excited. And one of the things I wanted to talk about is FOMO. And, and it's it's an acronym for fear of missing out. And I think certain people or you know investors uh, were getting a little bit of FOMO at the start of the year uh, because the market, you know, S&P 500, ran up from nowhere um, all the way up to about, I think it was about, you know, 8% plus, uh, maybe maybe around in that range, almost 9% mm -hmm. in a span of just a few weeks, right, in January. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, man, everything's over. We're good. You know? And we then, reached the peak. We're yeah. coming back down. And then, you know, we've had a 4 or 5% pullback since then, which is normal um, because obviously 
if the S&P 500 averages over time, you know, 8 to 10%, right? We can't really expect one month to just make up the whole year. Now we could, right? It happens sometimes. um, So the fear of missing out is people thinking, oh man, I'm I'm late to the party, I'm jumping in, which kind of fuels that rally up. But then, you know, things come back down because we come back to reality. Hey, and, you know, earnings are okay. You know, that was one of the things that drove it is earnings from companies didn't come in as bad as they were anticipated. Now, they were still not great, but they weren't as bad, right? We had a couple of other things that came up that gave us a little bit of upward uh, propulsion. And then we got slightly, you know, hotter inflation data and employment data came in really hot. And so it caused things to come back and contract. One of the things to look at, in addition to, you know, the S&P 500, let's say as the overall market would be the bond side, right? And Mm -hmm. we had the 10-year treasury um, start climbing back up all the way up. You know, it's trying to knock on the door 4% again when, you know, it did fall quite a bit, um, in which, which, which is part of the other reason why we had a bit of a rally. Yep, it was well above 4%, then it slid hard, right. which, of course, when we look at what the impact of lowering interest rates on the 10-year treasury look like to bonds, remember it's that seesaw. On one side, you have the interest rates, which are dropping. On the other side of the seesaw is the bonds that kind of correlate to that 10-year treasury typically will go up in value as interest rates fall and vice versa. So that's what we saw. We saw the opposite last year, 2022. Of course, interest rates, you know, just rose super, super quickly and it made bonds have their worst year on record. So, you know, I, I, I know we've talked a lot about the kind of the ebb and flow that we've seen over the last two months, the last six months, really the last year in the stock markets where we're seeing you know, the upswings and the downticks and then back up and back down. But really, you know, that's only part of the story now. If you've listened to me talk on this radio show a couple of years ago, I would say I was really, really pessimistic about fixed income. Right. Interest rates were super low. They, you know, it, there's two ways that you can make money really in a fixed income investment. The interest that it paid, which was near historic lows or at historic lows. And if interest rates go down, your principal goes up typically, like the seesaw, interest rates down, your money goes up in value. So it just didn't look like a good proposition for taking risk on those fixed income investments. Even though they're lower in risk, the expected returns just didn't look good to me and I wasn't a fan. But now it's completely reversed. We've seen after last year, interest rates have just rocketed higher. Now we're seeing money market rates above 4% pretty typically. Yeah. You know, we've seen it. Will it stay there? I would say the Federal Reserve has made their intent clear that they are going to quote unquote raise it a few more times this year. Right. We don't know what that means. Maybe they, maybe they get into a situation where they just have to panic stop and panic reverse to control some wildfire. We don't know. But what they've said and they've been sticking to their word for the least the last you know, 15, 18 months, is that they're going to raise it a few more times. And that r- directly impacts the level of interest rates that we're seeing in money markets, pretty much directly. Right. And then if you look outside of things like money market, stepping into short-term duration, which means, hey, if I want to tie my money up for six months or 12 months, you know, two, three, four, five years, you know, the, the there are varying pockets of opportunities out there that you can actually, for, for a, 
a retiree or a pre-retiree like take a low level of risk and get some decent level of returns out of it, which is pretty exciting. Absolutely. And it's been a uh, topic of conversation because, you know, at the start of the year, uh, the bulls, right, were mm-hmm. excited because the market started going up and all the people that were thinking, hey, uh, market isn't going up, the bears were a little pissed off. They're like, hey, we were expecting this continuous downtrend just to... Uh, fall 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 well uh the bulls had their you know cake so to speak right they celebrated and now um it seemed like a lot of the institutions actually were more bearish and Mm -hmm. they were caught off guard by this by this rally um but one of the things that's been brought up multiple times you know if you listen to like cnbc or on the news or read is bonds as you said or fixed income in general where Mm -hmm. why would i stick my neck out for a return that potentially would be higher when you can get a pretty, you know, I mean, we're talking about a two-year treasury being around 5% at the moment, right? Yeah, um, in that even moment. less. I saw uh, just this past week, I saw rates above 5% on a one-year treasury. Yeah. And that's, you know, we've probably talked about it recently, but, you know, we're looking at the yield curve. The yield curve says, hey, from a one-day maturity to a 30-year maturity, that's, you're called duration. The longer, the further out you go, that's the longer duration. Right now, we're seeing short-term investments typically pay more interest than the longer-term investments. Exactly. So, and, and that's called inverted yield curve. That's yeah. typically a bad sign for the, you know, the, the stock market at large. It's usually, a, or I guess it's a bad sign for the economy. It's generally a precursor of about 20 months on average predicting a recession. Mm-hmm. And it's been inverted for some time. Yeah, it's been Obvi- inverted for quite a while, I think. Yeah, I, so I, exact math. So we're. It's we, not. It, what I was going to say is yeah. uh, some of the better opportunities are not tying your money up five, 10 years like it, you used to you know, 13, 14 years ago when rates were this good. You'd have to tie your money up longer to get the kind of interest rates that we're seeing on just a, a one to four year time frame. Yeah, potentially. And, and as you said, some money probably short term, some money maybe long term, depends on individual situation. Because one of the other arguments I've had with people is, you know, hey, you know, yeah, I know nine month, ten, you know, a year long products of sorts, like you said, even treasuries pay 5%. But what's going to happen in a year, two years, three years? Right. right. And so when those mature, it's like w- you might be back. What the environment is going to exactly. look like then we don't yeah. know. You might be back into lower yielding environment um, just because, you know, I, I just the other day I spoke with someone and they said, you know, I haven't seen rates this high in, in, in like a decade. I'm like, well, I don't know exactly how long it's been, but it's been a while uh, where, you know, the quote unquote conservative investors, people that like the more, you know, fixed options, as you said, fixed income, mm-hmm. um, have actually been excited. Hey, you know, I can get a decent return on on things, you know, like U.S. Treasuries. Um, so why would I stick my neck out into the market? Now, as yeah, the... Through, through 2020, you know, if we're looking yeah. at a, a 10-year investment in made in 2010 that matured in 2020, those look pretty darn good for a conservative investor because interest rates just kept dropping and dropping and dropping. And so your principal goes up and up and right. up when you own those things. The bond value or whatever you're holding has gone up. Then that's a very good point. And then 2021, not a great year for bonds. It wasn't terrible, but it you know it was it was definitely interest rates went up, which means it principal rough, typically yeah. goes down. And then 2022, worst on record. Right, worst on record. Yeah. So you know, does this mean you go pile in all into fixed income? Well, likely not. But every situation is different. You know, the best way to uh, figure out your plan and your goals to is is to take us up on the opportunity with the. Complimentary consultations we offer, right? Our mm-hmm. number here is 
3,000. It's because we can dissect your situation, talk about your goals, come up with a plan that suits you and figure out, okay, do we want to have some fixed income? Do we still have um, stocks? I mean, are stocks gone? You know, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say so because at some point we'll see a turn, right, where the Fed will say, okay, hikes over. And as you said, they may even have to sharply reverse depending on the data that comes in mm-hmm. and it will cause the stock market to react. Now, hopefully it reacts in a positive manner and you can have an uptick because that was the other argument I heard on, on, on the news. And it was, you know, yeah, 5% is great, but how quickly could you make 5% in the stock market if it's rallying, if it, it's a bull market? You sure. could, you know, we just talked about January being an eight plus percent, you know, on the S&P 500, you know, the 500 largest U.S. companies in a month, right? Instead of waiting a whole year for a return. Yeah, so, but you have to like buy in and then sell out. Oh, of course. Yeah, you have to just, time it, of course, time it right. Nobody, nobody knows how to time that. But what I'm, I guess my point being is, you know, you might be flipping the script a little bit and having some exposure added to fixed income, but you shouldn't forget other asset classes, right? Yeah. So, you know, having stocks, whether it be value versus growth or, you know, small, mid-size or large companies and all of that kind of gets built into, you know, your portfolio. Cause otherwise, you know, you could be missing out, right? Potentially. Yep. Now it's not necessarily gonna, you know, we've seen what the market's doing. It's just kind of zigzagging up and down. It's, it's, it's kind of looks like a heartbeat maybe, right? Like, mm-hmm. a, like an EKG. It is. Result, yeah. Right? It's totally EKG. Yeah. And so hopefully we don't flatline, right? Um, <laughs> or worse, I guess the equivalent in the <laughs> stock market world is just, a, you know, down the mountainside. Just right, right. So it'll go, change from an EKG to like, a, yeah, I don't know, something else that goes up and starts trending up. The um, ramp higher. I've heard the Nike swish analogy where like Nike has that swish and it slowly starts recovering. It could be more along those, uh, those lines. We don't know, right? Nobody really knows what'll happen month over month. Right. As we could see, if everybody knew Right, that we'd be January, all on a beach somewhere. Yeah, then, then January would have been great for everyone. But you turn on the news, and some people are like, "No, this this rally shouldn't be happening," or or you've got an argument for both sides. Yeah, the, the entire time. So it's important to think about options, and that's what we're here to provide. You know, investing simplified is about bringing concepts that are more complex down to a digestible level, talking about them and, and, and bringing value to our listeners. So that way you're somewhat educated. And again, if you'd like to take us up on the offer of a complimentary consultation, our number here is 503-253-3000. Um, what I'd we, say real quick, yeah. uh, just before we uh, head to break, sounds like uh, just as a, a word of opportunity, we are seeing Oregon municipal bonds being pretty attractive at the moment. So if you find yourself in a higher income bracket, that can be particularly attractive because Oregon municipal although, bonds. I guess Washington doesn't have state income tax. Right, right. Just municipal bonds in general are paying pretty yeah. decent interest rates, but for Oregonians that have, you know, if you're in a if you're making a pretty good income and your your federal tax bracket is higher, you're also in a, you know, of course Oregon has a a state tax tacked onto it. And the Oregon muni bonds are double tax free. If you're so, an Oregon resident. If you're an Oregon yeah. resident. Right. And they're, you know, Oregon as a state is double A rated. Of course, the highest rating is AAA. We're really, really close to that. So it's a, you know, a highly uh, cr- uh, you know, credit worthy state. And the interest rates that I'm seeing are fairly attractive, particularly the more income you make, the more attractive it is. Got it. Okay. Well, and as Matt said, before we've brought it up on the show any of these tax decisions make sure you consult with the tax professional 
to make sure you're getting the information that's specific to you and your tax situation. But some really good ideas. Yeah, and certainly not saying just unload the boat and buy nothing but Oregon munis, but they could make a a nice complement to a diversified portfolio. We've got Oregonians listening, some Washingtonians listening, maybe somebody from California, Idaho. Different states, municipal bonds basically just mean, you know, the the bonds of the municipality or or, or the state. And so there are some opportunities there, you know, corporate bonds, right, treasuries. Um, That is all wrapped into that fixed income bucket as you started talking about. Right. And municipalities, finishing that subject, like what are they? Of course, they could be local. They could be, you know, there's the TriMet here in the Portland area. That's a a municipality. Uh, Colleges, things like that. But when we're looking at particularly uh, cities and things like that, and, you know, their tax revenue is on the rise because there are more people making more money, more employees at higher wages and their tax collections seem to be going up. I know that there's a, what sounded like a gargantuan a kicker of a, a refund coming from Oregon for this year. So that okay. sounded, I haven't heard that, yet. I, I kind of heard a teaser. I got to fact check that, but it sounded like we, we have a, a pretty good size one coming, but municipalities in general do have a, a higher level typically of, of tax revenues right. and that's the ability to pay interest on these municipal bonds. Yeah. So they look, you know, very credit worthy. Key, keyword being there typically and, and mostly because, we, you know, we got all sorts of cities around. Right. And there are there, some struggling. So, yeah. The risk know. there is, you know, of course, if the municipality defaults, which could be one of two things or one of many things. One, they don't pay the interest on time. M- maybe they catch that up in the future. Maybe they don't. So that's a default. Mm-hmm. Or if they just, you know, the mun- municipality goes bankrupt and then, you know, you have to. Uh, worry about your risk of principal loss. You know, right. you could potentially lose all of your principal. That is a risk, but that's why we focus so much on the credit uh, credit rating. Right at that's a double A, you know, your your risk of that happening is much mo- much lower than a triple B, which is still investment grade. Absolutely. Well, on that fun note of the fact that we may be having a kicker, we'll we'll fact check it and come back after our break with more investing simplified. <laughs> Leaving an employer can be stressful and overwhelming, but once the dust settles and you're at a new job or perhaps retired, it is important to consider your options for that retirement plan left behind. If this situation applies and you would like to hear more about options available for 401k, 403b, or other retirement account rollovers, please give our office a call at 503-253-3000 to schedule a complimentary consultation with someone on the team to go over your specific and individual situation. We will take the time to get to know you, your goals, and let you know what the best course of action is for you and your family. We do investing simplified. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you again for making us a part of your day. As always, you can get a complimentary consultation from one of us here at the Price Furniture Group team by calling 503-253-3000. If you've missed parts of the show, you can go to our website, www.pricefg.com. We're also available on Amazon Music, Apple, and Android podcasts as well. So with that, we're back with the show. I know we ended the last episode here or last segment with us teasing the fact that there may be a Oregon uh, state credit. And you looked into it, Matt, and it looks like it may be a budgetary 
uh, surplus we have that they've announced. Yeah, just, it kind of triggers yeah, the, 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 kicker. That, the kicker. So it, it looks like it's happened, I think, uh, each of the last five years. And this is a forecast for next year, 2024, forecast, that they uh, should have nearly $4 billion for a kicker okay. next year. So, you know, I guess the point of this being speak with your, you know, accountant or tax preparer, whoever's working on your taxes, and it's something that, you know, they know how to handle. But, you know, I, I don't know if last year was a kicker year, but maybe. And so we'll see, I guess, when we're filing your taxes. But Oregon's been, um, you know, usually running a surplus, it sounds like, for a few years. Uh, I mean, part in part probably with the fact that we pay, you know, a fair share of income taxes on our, <laughs> on our payroll. Um, mm-hmm. So what I wanted to talk about next here, and I know you are getting ready to talk to us about uh, what you call the 12 horsemen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we like nicknames out here. So 12 horsemen being the uh, 12 companies that we chatted about uh, very far part of the year. And those would be Wall Street, um, big, big institutions that have provided some sort of forecast as to where they feel the S&P 500 or the overall uh, market will end the year 2023. And so we have got some updates. Yeah, keep an eye on all those big institutions out oh, there. Oh, it's a good idea. We're the mats here in Portland, right? Do we, do we do manage like $6 trillion like BlackRock? No. We don't. But it's good to know what they're doing, what they're thinking. A lot of those articles sort of disappear off the internet once <laughs> they're published. So uh, we have the data. We're going to try to keep an eye on, uh, on things just to see how the year's progressing. But before we jump into it, I wanted to um, finish up our conversation from the last segment a little bit and talk about the other uh, acronym that we like to bring up, and that's FUD. And FUD stands for Fear, Uncertainty, and Doubt. So um, if you missed last uh, segment, we talked about FOMO, Fear of Missing Out. And basically the idea of, you know, as you see the market start, you know, coming back to life, you want to jump back in because you have the fear of missing out on the returns. And that's very normal, and, and people uh, get caught up with it. And we just got to understand that you know, market investments are long-term, and the longer you're in it, uh, the more likely the you know past results of, uh, of things that have happened may happen in the future, right? We just right. don't know what will actually happen, but the longer you're invested, historically speaking, you know the better odds you have of making money, right? So trying to stay away from FOMO is a good idea. You should have a plan a plan of entry or just like a plan of exit, meaning as you're saving for retirement, you know, you're entering into the market with your dollars. So every paycheck you get, maybe a piece goes to a 401k, maybe you're making other contributions. And so that's your entry into the market. Well, you should have a plan of exit when you uh, get ready to retire or when you actually officially retire, you should have a paycheck coming to you, right? Some of it will come probably from social security, maybe pensions, but these dollars you're saving potentially now, or you have been saving, have to have an exit strategy too and so by having a plan and something you can reference you're avoiding this whole FOMO effect a fear of missing out because you know you you got your feet both on the ground and you know what you're doing instead of trying to guess and jump in and jump out right and I might even coin a different phrase FOMU fear of messing up and I see that that's true too quite often as well where it's like Gosh, do we really want to be in these markets? It's super choppy. What if what if things just crash for this reason, that reason, the other reason? Right. So, and not just the fear of missing out. Like, hey, I'm on the sidelines and things zip higher, or I'm in the game and the game just turns into a catastrophe. Right. So, that's a good point too. And there's been a lot of people that have sat on the sidelines. You know, some people have been sitting around uh, since COVID, or you know, right past COVID after the 
you know, the, the pullback yep. we had back then. There's lots of people that jumped out, you know, last year, year before mm -hmm. uh, for and different we, reasons. We point to another acronym from a few years ago, and that was TINA. There is no alternative. Mm -hmm. And that was interest rates were low. You could make a lot more income uh, owning the S&P 500 than you could owning a 10-year treasury. The 10-year treasury in the lows of July of 2020, we saw, you know, low 0.4% and we're closing in on, uh, you know, near 2% dividend yield from the S&P 500. And of course, you know, the, the stock market had a great year 2019, great year 2020, even though there was that large 34% drawdown from February to March. Right. Fastest on record. So, you know, that's, you know, the, the, there is no alternative then has turned into there are alternatives now. You, know, you don't have to fully be, uh, you know, all invested in the stock market and riding that, you know, the, the big wave right now, yeah. it, unless it's appropriate for your strategy. Exactly. So um, in terms of FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty and doubt, what, what are th some things that are out there still? Um, well, number one, we just recently had the one year anniversary of the war starting over in Ukraine. Um, you know, sad that it's continued to go on as long as it has. Um, sad how many lives have been lost. Um, it's been it's been a very tough situation, and nobody could have predicted that this would take this long. Um, a year is a long time. You know, it doesn't feel like it maybe because as you get older, I feel like the um, my time accelerates and I get you know older quicker. But if you're in the midst of a war, I'm sure the one year drags on and on and on, and so. Um, I know that one of the things that has been happening with the last few weeks was China trying to uh, get involved and trying to potentially come up with a peace treaty. Now, in my opinion here, I don't think we should be fooled by China trying to be the good guy and trying to be helpful to Ukraine. They've got their own um, reasons, and that primarily is to uh, allow Russia not to be as uh, beat up and devastated as as it's looking to be because of the war, and so that's purely because they're an economic partner of of Russia, and so right. they've got their self interest, but they're trying to get Russia to agree to some sort of a peace treaty, uh, at which point potentially at least ceasefire and then negotiations continue, which you know would be very nice not only obviously for the people, uh, for the local economies, for Europe. Um, I was reading um, some article about the fact that you know United States has sent over uh, you know billions and billions and billions of dollars but they have continued to do so y Europe is having a hard time supplying money to Ukraine to help them basically pay their electric bill right and their energy bills and such um, and so it's been a lot of stress on the economies of the world and so that is one of those factors that if and when we get a resolution of the conflict, there's a good chance we'll have a little bit of an uplift in the overall markets, mm -hmm. just a little bit of a relief um, potentially. Now, if Russia decides to pause or withdraw or have a treaty, the underlying problem is that, you know, will we know for sure that they aren't going to just take six months off to, you know, uh, take a breather and come back, right? And so there's still going to be stuff that's going to float up and, and the FUD's going to continue, I'm sure. Yeah, um, and now there's new implications with china there or developments you know it was released you know towards the you know, like third week of february the uh, u.s secretary of state anthony blinken had mentioned that uh, there's a possibility that china will start supplying weapons to russia for the fight in ukraine so yeah. that w uh, of course the the blowback from that is that there's a lot of threats from the the u.s side like hey 
China, if you get involved with with weapons, we're supplying weapons there, and, and potentially if they're supplying weapons, now we've got a proxy war happening basically, in Ukraine. Yeah, it's basically World War Three that's being played out through. You know, it's almost like we're the, the, power the wedge between sword. the West and the East, like right yeah. there in that little territory. Well, I qu- quote unquote little, but I'm, right. it, it's a it's a fairly large country. Yeah. So you know that's out there. Unfortunately, I wish it wasn't. Um, but that's one of the big big things in there. And, you know, we, we, we're going to talk about the 12 horsemen, but we talked about, you know, the gorillas in the, in the past. We called them the gorillas. So the, the 900-pound gorillas being things that are with us that are causing indigestion in the market. That is one of them. The next one is inflation. So we had an inflation reading that came in sort of in line, slightly above. You know, it wasn't crazy high, but it was above the reading that, they were, that was expected. Um, and it, certainly well above the Federal Reserve's target of where right. they want inflation. Would to have had to, yeah. And then the following week or so, I think the 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 you know uh, other numbers came in also higher. So we're seeing it, and it's hard to just explain it away. Um, but you know, inflation isn't a straight line. It's not going to go in a straight line. You're going to have bumps in, in, in the road, of course. Um, but it caused a bit of concern for the markets, which has inevitably caused the tenure to climb right back up so we're sort of auto correcting mm-hmm. it's interesting the federal reserve has a role and their role is to obviously have price stability and full employment well they don't have to even come out and talk about um what these reports meaning because as soon as we get a hot report the market sells off and the bonds pop up in terms of the yield and it self-corrects it so it makes uh, jerome powell's job a little easier but obviously inflation is is here we're going to continue to see hopefully trend down um, I know a couple of the you know big big numbers obviously is housing. Housing is huge. Um, it's staying high and, and and it's not inflating down as quickly as it wants as it needs to. And then obviously energy is still a problem. So the final thing being employment, uh, the employment numbers came in and it was interesting because we had I think the you know the CPI data data you know midweek and then by the end of the week we also got the employment numbers and we got a staggering amount of uh, employment. I mean, it was a half a million plus new jobs or something like in that. In January, yeah. In January, which basically serves the narrative that, hey, you know, the economy is really strong, um, which is great. But at the same time, even though we've been seeing all these layoffs everywhere, people are able to get back into work. And if people are working, that means they're spending more um, because they have the income, and which means the price of inflation may not be coming down as quickly. So it's like... Good news is bad news because in the past, like full employment would be awesome. But now that's kind of bad news because it means it's going to take us longer to bring the inflationary pressures down. And really, who's getting hurt by this? I mean, the longer the rates stay as high as they are, number one thing that'll happen is housing will get affected. You know, we got some promising numbers from January because interest rates dipped below uh, and they were like in the sixth range uh, in January on the 30 year mortgage. And well, they're back up to seven. And so that's probably going to cool back down. And the longer those rates stay higher, uh, the less wiggle room will the lenders have to continue to give out credits to people to buy down their rate. Builders with new constructions are going to start having an inventory that actually sits. Um, and we're and going sellers to are having to give more concessions exactly. and lower the prices. To, and we're heading towards to spring, when, which is typically the time where a lot of people list and sell their homes. And as the inventory increases, right, there's going to be a lot more homes to pick from. Um, prices will have to start coming down. Now, we've seen across the United States about a 10% drop in prices. Some areas have had a lot more. Some haven't had as much here in Oregon. I feel like we're in that 10% range. 
Um, but we've talked about rates and effect of purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so for each 1% increase of interest rates, 10% down of your purchasing power. Yeah. So walk, you know, walking through that, yeah. that's on a 30-year mortgage. If rates increased 1% from where they were when you were looking the first time, that's 10% less house you can afford. Right. For the same principal payment, same mortgage payment. Yeah. So if a year ago our rates were, let's say, 3% and now we're at 7 you know, that's 4% of a swing, which, you know... I 40% mean, less purchasing 40% power. 40% or so purchasing power less, which is huge. And we've only dropped... So if you're looking for a $400,000 house, yeah. you know, that that's, you know, what, uh, $240,000 now? Like that, yeah. That you could, what, for the same mortgage yeah. payment? Will we dip that loan? Nobody knows. I, I don't think we will go dollar for dollar, but... I do think that there's more pain in real estate. Um, and so the longer this stays, that's the thing. Because if rates come back down, then people will start refinancing and purchasing and rates you know, will stabilize. But the longer, the longer these rates stay higher, the, the more pain it'll cause in real estate. I mean, yeah. I'm sure and then what, where that really exacerbates the situation further is looking at rentals. Right. People are pressured to say, hey, I wanted that $400,000 house. Now I'm priced out and I have to rent. Yeah. So and, and now we're seeing rental prices, you know, uh, the charge of rent going higher and higher. And so that's another inflationary pressure that's built into this whole mix. Yeah, it makes it really difficult. And the other, you know, so we talk housing gets affected. Obviously, the regular day to day consumers, I guess, didn't realize maybe how much of an impact these interest rates have. But you know, credit card rates are tied to prime and tied to interest rates that go up. Uh, lines of credit, home equity lines of credit um, are all tied to prime. And so, you know, we're up significantly from those lows, right? Prime was at three and a quarter or so when it all started. And I, I believe we're uh, knocking on the door of almost 8% now. So that's almost, you know, four or 5% of a swing up. And so if you have a credit card with a balance of, let's say, $10,000, you know, 4% of that is significant. Oh, absolutely. And that just gets added to your minimum payments. So minimum payments are growing. People are unable to spend as much. Um, but for now, according to, I think, with J.P. Morgan Chase that said it, U.S. still has a ton of money on, in savings accounts. There's still yeah. big balances in the banks. And they project, it's funny how they project it. <laughs> they project that when we're going to run out of money and at which point we're going to start relying more on credit cards and things will really start getting uh, bad. But, you know, we still have a runway before that happens. Mm-hmm. And then the final thing that I think is getting squeezed a lot is small business. I mean, small business owners go out there every day and try to, you know, make, uh, create jobs. They want to create, you know, basically part of the GDP and, and, and produce. And when you're having to borrow as a business owner, you know, those lines of credit or loans are very difficult to obtain at a lower rate. Um, take the SBA, for example, you know, which is small basic, business association, small, small business administration, oh, administration, think, yeah. excuse me. Basically what they will do is, Hey, uh, let's say you're a dentist gets out of a college and you're like, Hey, I want to buy a practice. I want to buy an existing dentist practice or something. Well, the SBA will give you a loan. But a year ago, you could have gotten that loan maybe at five, six percent. Now you're staring at almost you know ten percent on an interest rate or something. I, I don't have the exact rate, so don't quote it, me on this and talk to a banker. But it's that's that's the general idea of it, what we've seen with the rates. idea being, hey, we're so much higher. Well, then you can't buy or you can't pay as much for the practice, or you might have slimmer cash flows, which again, it makes 
small business is very difficult. Now, you know, and, and then that, that's if you know yeah. if if somebody's borrowing to buy the business. But now let's say we've got a, a business that's already established. Now look at the employment environment. You've got to pay a whole lot more to attract quality talent, right. if at all possible, because the pool is yeah. just dry and shallow. Wages have gone up and margins might have gotten squeezed and the market hasn't been the best for all small business. Now, some small businesses thriving, but you know, a lot of small businesses not doing as hot as they used to. So I know we were going to talk about your 12 horsemen, but I'm coming up on another break. So yep. I'll take a break and then I'll give you the whole segment, Matt. I'll try to be quiet and you can <laughs> talk about it. Um, so with that, we'll take a break and we'll be back with more Investing Simplified. When planning for income and retirement, there's a lot to consider. Between managing the budget that fits the family, trying to figure out from where to draw your income, or balancing the tax ramifications of withdrawals, moving into retirement can be overwhelming. At Price Financial Group, we help clients work to create a sustainable retirement roadmap, addressing these concerns and more and helping folks feel confident in their future retirement income right when they need it most. If you'd like a financial plan tailored just for you, please don't hesitate and call our office today at 503-253-3000, 503-253-3000 to set up your complimentary consultation. Price Financial Group offers investment advisory services through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you again for making us a part of your day. We're back from break. I uh, spent the break talking about, you know, the FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We talked about the war in Ukraine, inflation, employment, small business, housing, a lot to unwrap. Uh, if you've missed part of the show, please check us out at FG. Dot com. You can also download the podcast through both Apple and Android devices. And if you'd like a complimentary consultation, if you'd like somebody to sit down with you and sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together for a plan that's more uh, detailed and, and, and tailored to you, our number here is 503-253-3000. We provide those complimentary consultations to our listeners. Now, back from break, uh, we were talking about the 12 horsemen. And horsemen... We just came up with this just now. Yeah. Basically talking about Wall Street, right? The Wall Street, uh, big big banks, big um, money managers on Wall Street. Yeah, institutional money managers. And why is that exactly. important? Because they're the ones that are managing the most money. Are they always right? No, absolutely not. But, you know, it, it's tough to just rely on one source of information. I typically look at 20 to 30 different sources of information per month when I'm trying to gauge where we think things are going, what opportunities we're seeing. And because if you see it in 15 or 20 different places, it's on a lot of institutions' minds, and that kind of just permeates through their institutions. And that kind of usually can translate into either something to uh, seize as an opportunity or something to avoid as a potential pitfall. So it, it's not 100% reliable. There really isn't anything out there that is. But I just like that consensus view it says, hey, th this is what most companies out there are thinking and seeing and saying to, to use as just some sort of guide as where we think things are going. Yeah. And I think it's important to, you know, put things in perspective. You've got these big Wall Street, you know, companies that have 
you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of employees working on economists and analysts mm-hmm. and such. And there's such a big difference between their estimates. Uh, again, it's like throwing a dart at a wall right now. Oh, sure. It, 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 it's still a guide that nobody's extremely optimistic and nobody is extremely pessimistic, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So that helps. But, you, you know, as you talk through them, there's a big range between the low and the high, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when we look at these these 12 institutions, you know, they, they have a low range. The lowest one on here is the S&P 500 ending this year at 36.75. So at the moment, you know, as of uh, the end of February, we were at around roughly 39.91 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. So they're uh, they're low. So the S&P right now is 8.6% higher right now than their year-end estimate. So, you know, in Barclays' minds, maybe they're thinking, hey, sell the rally. That, that's what that indication says to me. Mm-hmm. They're, they're seeing something in there that says the, that the S&P 500 right now is worth more than what they think it will be at the end of the year. It is worth mentioning that most of these companies will come up with revisions throughout the year, meaning they gave a, you know, the, this was published through a Yahoo uh, news article that we saw, and they're going to have revisions as the oh, year sure. progresses. So yep. this is their stance as of the beginning of the year. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that because I, I like using what they had seen at the end of the year last year. So this was, you know, uh, early 2023, actually, when this article came out. And, you know, I, I don't typically like to update it when they make changes because i like to see hey how good are they a year out without making any modifications just looking at their original data so uh, the next one societe generale uh, they manage about 1.6 trillion as of you know third quarter of last year their prediction was 3800 at the end of the year of course you know, the market is where it is they're they're a little bit low by a uh, just a smidge over five percent so the market's five percent higher Okay. now than where they think it'll end sure. the year at. So again, they think market is slightly overvalued. They might say, hey, Trim, sell the rally. Right. And next one, capital economics. Now, they're not necessarily an institutional money manager, but they're one of the largest subscription services for global money management. And they also said they agreed with Societe Generale at 3,800 year-end target. And same, same result, the S&P right now, five percent or so higher than their expected year-end result next one morgan stanley and for me that every time i see morgan stanley gosh we were using morgan stanley a lot for their u.s growth fund and their international growth fund in 2019 into 2020 that year 2020 that it was a mutual fund that we're using for u.s growth that mutual fund was well over a hundred percent return for 2020 and then ever since, it is just absolutely not flatlined. It has been the, you know, the hillside, you know, just tumbling and rolling downhill. So uh, fortunate that, you know, we, we had made some moves out of that one a while back. So uh, their prediction, and by the way, they managed $1.2 trillion as of third quarter of last year. Their target was 3900 at year end. And you know, we're, you know, just basically. Basically there, yeah. You know, I think the S&P is about 2.3% higher than that right now. So just a little, little difference. So in there. their opinion, you should just sell, go to cash, and sit the rest of the year out till January next <laughs> right, year. <laughs> right, that sweet yeah. money market rate, or a like a, a nine month treasury, something like that. Yeah. We could, but uh, that that's their projection. UBS, they're a bigger one, four point two trillion as of the end of twenty twenty one. That was the most recent uh, assets under management number I could find. 
they're the same as Morgan Stanley at 3,900. So, you know, just about 2%. The S&P is about 2% higher than their projection right now. Next one is Citi. And they have about $708 billion listed as uh, in their wealth management unit. But they also have institutional clients that, you know, amount to uh, quite a bit around the, the world. They're, they're saying their uh, institutional clients group that they're a part of has 21 trillion in assets under custody and administration. So that's a big number. Yeah. They're the same as the prior to 3,900 was their target. Uh, again, S and P right now, 2% higher than their current year end target. Now we're going above, uh, you know, at or above 4,000 from here forward. Goldman Sachs, they manage about 2.4 trillion. So not a, not a small outfit mm-hmm. there. Uh, you've of course heard, you know, news, Probably five, eight years ago, Goldman Sachs got in a little hot water about some of their uh, commentary about their own clients and things. And they were kind of trading on both sides of, of different trades. And some uh, some folks didn't care for that. But they've kind of been making a resurgence over the last five or so years, getting, you know, regaining some popularity. Their target was 4,000. So, you know, they're, they're pretty much really, really close to where the market is right now. So they're, you know, they're the spot on. If the market just grinds sideways from here to year end, they've nailed it. Yeah. Uh, same with HSBC. They manage about $574 billion, so about half a trillion. Uh, same target, 4000 and right now they're, they're really, really close. Credit Suisse has a slightly higher target at 4050 and they manage $1.6 trillion. And, the, of course, the market is about 1.5% uh, lower than that at the moment. Mm-hmm. So the market would have to climb a little bit for that to hit the target, obviously. Right. Next one, RBC. They have about 937 billion Canadian. So that's a you know a Canadian bank, and their projection was 4100 on the S and P. Okay. So uh, S and P is about 2.66 percent below that. Okay. Next one, J P Morgan, big institution. Largest bank in the U.S. and proverbially, you know, the biggest bank in the U.S. seems to be the biggest bank in the world. But right, they manage about two point five trillion, and their target was forty two hundred. All right. So before you continue, I was just looking, and year to date, we hit a high on the S and P of forty one seventy nine. Yeah. Back in February, February second. So yep. we have just kind of hit that number, and so that is you know in line with what. We've already touched it, but will we yeah. will we stay there at the finish yeah, line? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, year end. So anyway. curious. So JP Morgan, they say forty two hundred, and we're you know we need the market to climb about another five percent to hit the target. Last one is Jefferies. I like Jefferies a lot because uh, they're one of those uh, institutions like a Zacks uh, or a Motley Fool that actually put individual stock recommendations out. You know, I th- there's uh, okay. I, I I tend to look at them a lot. Uh, Jeffries just has been historically, they, you know, I, I would say among the ones that are more right than most others, they're not always right, but you know, I, I tend to pay attention when they say, you know, what, where things go, uh, particularly for individual stocks, but they manage about 31 billion. So not the hugest on the block. I just like them because they, you know, they, they do a good job, uh, historically speaking every, even if they do a good job, it doesn't mean that they're going to, that, that they won't have a bad month, a bad year. That's typical of right. institutional money managers. There's going to be years that they make mistakes. They just don't see it. They don't call it right. Yeah. And what but was their number? It's, uh, their, their target was uh, same as JP Morgan, 4,200. And that was the last one? Yep. So, oh, wow. 
yeah, we need the markets to jump another 5% to hit that target. Yeah. Well, and, but we've just about scraped that. Yeah, we, we already touched it. Yeah. yeah. So even with the most bullish of uh, cases, right, they're, um, you know, not calling for very, very, very high markets. I mean, 4,200, if we ended up there, would still be way off the highs that we've mm -hmm. had, you know, b before. Uh, I guess I don't know what they're going to call 2022 uh, this pullback. I thought I heard, I saw somebody call it the great inflation um, phase. You know, we have the great recession, this, that, and the other. I don't know. Oh, what okay. the name would be. But 2022 that makes sense. with the great inflation uh, from from the high of when we started, we would still be way off. And so it's important to note that hey, you've got all these companies. I mean, you got 12 different companies. They're all over the place now. They're somewhat closed. They're within like 400 points of each other thereabouts, uh, maybe more, 600 points, uh, which is pretty significant. They're not in, you know, an alignment. Uh, they're going to revise their targets based on data. So this is just their projection. If you'd like to get an idea of what you're looking at in terms of your goals and objectives in your retirement or maybe accumulating for retirement, give us a call for a complimentary consultation. We're at 503-253-3000. These numbers really don't mean anything unless you put them in perspective and um, sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together, as we said. So we'll take one more break, and then I want to come back and talk about one other thing. That's the Secure 2.0 updates that just have recently rolled out. And we'll be back with more Investing Simplified. If you or someone you know is 65 or older, now is the time to talk about Medicare options. Medicare is an integral part of your financial picture, but there are so many options it can be confusing and overwhelming. Price Financial Group has recently introduced an experienced Medicare specialist who can provide you with a complimentary consultation to cut through the noise and ensure your Medicare needs are aligned with your overall plan. We have offices conveniently located in the metro area and working with our Medicare specialist won't cost you anything except a bit of your time. Call 503-253-3000 or visit PriceFG.com to schedule your complimentary consultation today. You're listening to Investing Simplified. Now, back to our host, Matt Sudol. Welcome back to Investing Simplified. However you're joining us today, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, you can catch replays of our show at www.pricefg.com. We also have both Android and Apple devices uh, with podcasts available, so we don't, uh, we don't pick our favorites, although... I prefer Apple, and Matt, you prefer Android. But you know, I've had Apple, I've had Android. Yeah. My my gripe was that I had the Apple Watch, I had a MacBook, and I had the they iPhone. Everything. Yeah, no, it, it, they all link together. But I get, I don't know what, four hundred notifications every day, and I had to check four hundred notifications devices. off on three <laughs> yeah. devices. That means I'm checking twelve hundred notifications every day. It was just too crazy. But we're on all of those uh, devices as well as. Um, Amazon Music, that's the other one, right? Yep. So if you've missed part of the show, definitely watch a replay. We've been trying to post them a little bit more regularly lately. And I wanted to wrap the show up with a update, right? We talked about this once or twice, I think, on our show already this year. Uh, but, you know, we haven't really dove in too deep, and that's the Secure 2.0. So Secure is an act that was passed that had a lot of updates to retirement accounts. And there's a 2.0, version 2.0 that came out recently. Um, and so I wanted to spend a couple minutes just going over some of these updates. If you've got questions that are a little more in-depth, the best way to get a hold of us is to give us a call at 
253-3000. We'd love to provide a complimentary consultation to any of our listeners. So uh, one of the big ones that we talked about is required minimum distributions. So required minimum distributions is something that basically gets put on the uh, taxpayer, I guess, once they hit a certain age. And the government basically says, hey, you've got a pre-tax account or a traditional retirement account, whether it be you know, a IRA, 401k, and you need to pull money out so we can tax you. And so the required minimum distribution date or age was pushed back a bit, which is nice. I mean, it, it goes mm-hmm. along with the fact that we're living longer, we're we're no, not using our assets. So that number got pushed to 73 as of this year, as of January 1st, 2023. But what's interesting is by the time we roll over to January 1 of 2033, 10 years from now, so not that close, but <laughs> out in the future, you know, the next generation, the required minimum distribution age will then go to 75, which is, you know, interesting. I mean, it's kind of postponing the inevitable of having to pay taxes on things, yeah, sure. but it's still a gesture of them saying, hey, we get it. Most people don't necessarily live as short as they used to. We will give you a little bit of a runway to let your money compound longer, potentially, you know, uh, under the tax umbrella. Yeah, so, that number, the age used to be 70 and a half for the longest time. Then it was bumped up several years ago to age 72. Now it's 73 and it looks like it's going higher over the next decade or so. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the other thing that is kind of interesting, they, they actually backed off on the penalty. We talked about this. So Yeah, that was a big deal. The requirement distribution penalty was 50%. 50 um, of the amount you, that you should have taken out. Say your um, RMD was five grand and you missed it. That's a two thousand five hundred dollar penalty. Right. Plus, you got to take your five thousand dollars normal RMD. So that's a seventy five hundred dollar tax hit. You know, taxable income usually. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. Well, then a penalty now is twenty five percent, and it could be uh, dropped down to ten percent if you correct the error in a timely manner, quote unquote. <laughs> so if it's fixed, um, it'll be correct. You know, it would be something that can. Um, Go in fact, so that is, you know, some of the most important updates. But there what, are, what I'd say uh, about that one, just real quick, yeah. uh, in my experience, I've come across uh, you know, prospective clients that have come for a consultation, and uh, you know, they have they bring me a statement that has a beneficiary IRA, and I'm like, what do you typically do with the required minimum distributions? And they look at me with like the deer in the headlights look. Require require what? Like the money that you're, these are, you know, older laws before the 10 year rule kicked into effect a couple of years ago. But, you know, pre, uh, you know, before that law was changed, you had an annual requirement to pull out a specific percentage or dollar amount of those accounts. And I've had it uh, happen a handful of times where I would come across somebody who hadn't been taking their RMDs. In one case, it was like three years worth, inherited the money three years prior hadn't satisfied the RMDs for for three years, and it was like $25,000 of RMDs that were supposed to have come out out in that example. We wrote a letter to the IRS, helped her write the letter to the IRS asking for lenience on it, like, hey, we found the problem, we took the the whole, we added them all up, took all those dollars out, paid the taxes to the feds, and et cetera, et cetera. Can we get lenience on the penalty? And every time... In my experience, it's happened about four or five times. Every time they've said uh, that's fine, so they they can be great gracious. That doesn't mean they can be gracious. Not to say they won't, because there's eighty thousand more IRS uh, people supposedly coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, RMDs are the big piece of the uh, Secure Act that's been updated. There are a couple additional changes that we'll talk about in our future shows. Wanted to bring this one up again just because we are heading towards a new year and people are looking at required distributions and that's something that's on their mind. So if you've got questions on this, uh, give us a call at 503 253 
3000 as always if you've got any tax questions consult with your tax professional then make sure you're on the up and up and uh, speaking with whoever's working with your specific situation so with that we'll end the show we appreciate everyone tuning in and this has been investing simplified Price Financial Group Wealth Management Price Financial Group Wealth The opinions voiced in Investing Simplified with Bo Caldwell are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with an attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Investors cannot invest directly in indexes. The performance of any index is not indicative of any investment and does not take into account the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. A diversified portfolio does not assure profit or prevent losses in a declining market. Roth IRA conversion is a taxable event. Guests on Investing Simplified are not affiliated with Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated. Investment services offered through Price Financial Group Wealth Management Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. We do investing simplified.